Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. journey. If you're jumping on board with us right now, you go, well, what does that mean? Okay, so at the beginning of the year, I don't know how long this is going to go. We're just talking about a journey. Every single person in here, we're on, the, we're on a journey of some sort, okay? And the journey might just be like, hey, I'm trying to find out who Jesus is. What does it mean to be a disciple? Maybe you've been a disciple for a long time, but we're on a journey that is full of adventure, sometimes a little bit scary, But we are on this journey, and one of the things we're talking about is this journey, not just to exist spiritually, but we're on a journey to mature, to spiritually mature, so we don't stay the same. So we don't stay little children spiritually, we we grow up. And as we've been talking about, that is glorifying to God, for people to see us, to see followers of him who aren't staying the same who are changing, and it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a a month or a year or 30 or 40 or 50 years, there is something powerful about seeing a changed life. There's something about that to where, and and here's the interesting thing. I I remember as a new Christian, I remember, and and Mike was one of those guys, man, when I was, I was a young, brand new Christian, and I remember it was like Mike and Tony Gurley and Jeff and Chris and all of these guys in our congregation where we were. And I was like, I can't wait to get where they are because they've conquered everything. You know, and they, it's not because they were saying that, okay? It wasn't because Mike was like, I'm the man, you know? Yeah. But as I looked at the older men, I was like, wow, these guys are really mature. These guys have, when you get to be that age, it must be easy to be a disciple, and, and now I'm knocking on the door of 50 years old, having been a disciple for 25 or more years, and going, it, I got more junk now than I think I had 25 years ago. I, I keep seeing there's more stuff, okay? And, and I know sometimes you may, you may think to yourself, well, wow, that's really discouraging. Well, no, actually it isn't. Because it's this process of formation in Christ that as things are kind of refined off, I start really seeing the deeper part of the real me and how much I need Jesus and how much I love Jesus, that he's full of grace and that it's, this project has been ongoing. But I do see as well how futile that early thought I had that you can get to a place and you're just good. Like there's, not a, there's really not a whole lot to change anymore. Wow, is that, was that wrong, okay? Uh, and so... But again, there is something about that, of a changed life. And so when we're talking about spiritual maturity, if you want to think of it in another way, think of formation, like being formed into the likeness of Christ. So so when you were baptized into Christ and you got the Holy Spirit inside of you, that Holy Spirit started like transforming us from the inside. The process began. 
And that's the ultimate goal. And I think one of the things that we'll learn long term, what we'll learn, I think, is that the best thing we can do is learn how to get out of God's way. Not show him how great we can be, but just that idea of, hey, you want to know what, God, I'm getting in your way a lot. You know, when I've got a bad attitude, I'm just getting in his way. Okay, when, I'm, when, when my mind is all over the place, I'm just, just keep, just get out of the way and let God work. And so we're going to hopefully see that. But as we're talking about being formed into the likeness of Christ, we've been hitting like just some little foundational principles. And I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Super simple. This is simple today. This is uh, simple. It's practical. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verse 5 through verse 15. Matthew 6. Verse 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Okay, so here's the deal. Hypocrites pray. You got to think about that. <laughs> Sometimes we're like, man, you're just hypocritical. You're all out. No, no, no. It's clearly you have hypocrites that are trying to be kind of righteous here, right? But they're doing it for the wrong reason. They want people to see them pray. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, they receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Now, before we get moving any further into this, I think it's important for us to just point a couple things out. And, and again, may I... Forgive me if I'm projecting myself onto you. I've read this before. I've gone through this passage before. And I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. It's best to not take much time praying. Because I don't want to babble. I shouldn't pray that much. It's just babbling, right? Just, you know, long prayer times. That shouldn't be the case. And, and, and what I'm sharing with us is as disciples, our life should be surrounding a, a, an aspect of prayer, like continual prayer. But very specifically here, bab in the babbling sense, it's just like unthoughtful, just saying words, just throwing things out there. We want to be thoughtful. We don't want to be a babbler. But at the same time, don't feel like you're going to trick the system by going, okay, here's what I'm going to do. God, thank you. Amen. Good prayer time. Yeah, it's great prayer time. But you can, I think we can go a little further without babbling. I think we can. But I like these words right here, verse 9. This is Jesus. I want you to think about this. Sitting in front of Jesus, this, this is what would be awesome, okay, is let's say we're just sitting here, and I understand this is the Sermon on the Mount, and we have this idea, and if you had watched The Chosen, there's like a whole scene of the Sermon on the Mount, and there's, but just in its simplest form, you have Jesus, and then you have his guys in front of you, and can you imagine seeing they're listening to Jesus? And he says, this is how you should pray. That seems pretty clear. This is how you should pray. 
Okay. Now, listen, I have a background that comes from a place where we took the Lord, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and it became just one of these things that we said over and over and over and over and over again, and it wasn't thoughtful. It was kind of like, um, I, I don't know, it was kind of like a good luck charm. Like you said it for good luck. I don't know. I mean, I said the Lord's Prayer, I mean, probably millions of times growing up. And never once thought about what on earth does this even mean? Why are we doing this? But I knew if I did it, then God must be happy with me. And that's not the case, what we're looking at here. And then other times, you may have played on a sports team where you've completely destroyed this after every game. You know, the, the team gets together. Some, if you've played a sport and you've done this, the team gets together and they say this prayer and it sounds horrible and it's like a bunch of dudes grunting for 20 seconds. And, and, then, and then for some reason as a team, we leave there going, yeah, we did what God wanted us to do. <laughs> That's what we did, right? I want us to stop here and really take a look at this because what we want to keep in mind is Jesus wasn't an American teacher. This is vital to understand. Jesus wasn't an American teacher. Jesus, I don't think, would have probably fit in well in our educational system because what we like and what we've all been exposed to is, here, let me give you the answers to something. Here's a problem. Here's how you get the answer. Now, you go home and study how to do that, and then I'll tell you the answers, and if you get the answers right, and there's just this kind of like, you don't have to think so much as you have to memorize things, right? And, and that's kind of our way, you know, some of us get tripped up, the first teacher we have that starts asking us to think critically, we get a little bit tripped up, like, just tell me, man, just tell me the answer that you want. We don't like it so much. Let me tell you, over there, kind of this Eastern style of teaching is all about this idea of, I'm going to give you something, but you're going to have to take it and chew on it. And you, it's not going to be right on the surface. You're going to have to dig into it a little bit. You're going to have, this is required to think through. Okay? And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. I mean, quite honestly, that's one of the reasons we get bored in school. Right? Because it's just like, hey, here, do these seven things. Here's this study guide. Memorize this study guide. And then you come and do this test. But there's something about a teacher that is like, I'm going to teach you something that every time you dig in and you take time and you're thoughtful about it, there's going to be a nugget that comes from that. There's something really great about this. And he starts out, so again, this is how you should pray. Could you imagine if we were hanging out with Jesus, like camping with him? And he tells us, he teaches us this lesson. And we get up the next day and he goes, so how'd you pray? Uh, well, a different way. Didn't you hear what I said? I told you how to pray. Like, I, this is very simple here, okay? But I think it requires some thought. Let's think about this. He, he starts out, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Okay, that, that's vitally important. Our Father in heaven. Okay, now he's talking to not just his own people, but we're reading this now who have all kinds of different definitions of what a father is. All kinds. In fact, our definition of our dad oftentimes comes and plays a part in who we view God as. And so the very first thing that he shares is one of those things that's going to really kind of spark us in some ways is to go, hold on, we're, we're speaking to our father in heaven. 
And this may lead us even into praying, okay? So, so let's, say, let's say your home life with dad is not good. You don't know who dad is. You had a rough life, something like that. You know where in, in really in this template right here, it would be completely appropriate as you pray our father in heaven and just talk at that point. I don't know. I don't know what a good dad is. But I, I know you are. I want to know more about you. This is opening up a conversation. This isn't just a list that we go down. This is meant to like open up the things that are important because when we're formed, the formation that me and you are going through is not external. The formation is internal. And so what he's trying to do is get us started into this conversation and he's hitting these points, our father in heaven. And it might be like, God, thank you. You gave me one of the greatest fathers I've ever, on earth. Thank you, and you're greater. Thank you for even being greater. Or So again, we start out, our Father in heaven, hallowed, now your version might say, hallowed be your name. Some version may say, holy is your name. Holy be your name. Okay, I want to give us a little bit of, a, of an overview of this prayer here. I want you to notice this first half. Just take a look at that, and you see it. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, yours, yours, yours. Do you see where he's starting? And he's giving people, this is, the, this is how we learn to be spiritually formed. We pray in a way that is we're talking about what's most important, who's most important, getting our minds wrapped around this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. So, so here's the question. This is what we have to, you know, in our culture, for somebody to say something to us and not mean it is very, like, just disturbing. Right? Have you had friends like that before? They'll say something to you and don't mean it at all. Or you know you've had acquaintances. They say things to you and can't be trusted. They don't mean what they say. That's where we have to enter into this with great humility. Of who are we talking to? I mean, it is God's grace alone that's even allowing us to talk to him. Your name be holy. Okay, when we and you proclaim that, what we're saying is we want the, the world to see you as holy, as distinct, as different. That's what I want. This is a prayer of desire in so many regards that we can miss out on as disciples. If there isn't a desire for Jesus and, and God and his beauty and his will, then we're really missing out here. But he's saying, here's how you should pray, your name, when people talk about... That's what we want. We're asking God. We're praying because not just that he'll do it, but this is our heart. We want him to be honored in this world. It should hurt us when he's not honored. It should bother us when he's not honored. It should bother us when I'm acting in a way in, fr in front of people or any way that, that is not honoring God. It should bother me that God isn't being honored as holy. If somebody can look at me and say, well, Keith is supposed to be a follower of Jesus. And he's behaving like this. God cannot be honored. And so this is a desire 
a deep desire of do we want that? That's the question. Before we go praying this, we have to ask ourselves, is this what I really want? Or am I okay with my, with my little groups like sin and kind of like how we, you know, justify everything and we have kind of the mantra of, well, you know, everyone's going to sin anyway. I'll tell you, man, as a follower of Jesus and as time goes on, that disturbs me deeply when I hear that. Because what I hear when our world says, hey, don't judge people. You're going to sin anyway, man. You're going to sin anyway. What I hear is, is that we're okay with hurting Jesus. Like we're just going, hey, you want to know what? He's there. He's kind of the guy that's going to dole out the forgiveness. But hey, we're not going to be perfect, so just relax. And I'm like, I, I don't. That disturbs me deep, and it should disturb all of us. We want his name to be honored as holy. And that even means, God, whatever you got to do with me, don't let me live in a way that people are going to think, man, you know what? I'm not interested in God. God's not that great, you know, or whatever, okay? Holy is your name. And then he goes down and he says, your kingdom come. The, the most prominent teaching in Jesus' ministry is about his kingdom. Hopefully that rings in our ears over and over. This is a Messiah that came and he was going to talk about a kingdom that was coming and he was the king and he was the gracious, loving, sacrificial king that he was coming down here to save his people. But he was saying, man, the kingdom is coming, which means there's a king, which means there's a rule underneath that king. There's a reign of this king. And so when we say something like your kingdom come, what we're saying is, God, I want how you rule and what you say about everything to be what we live in here. Your kingdom. Like what I do, you know, before I was a disciple, I wasn't a, I wasn't a citizen of the kingdom of God. I live by the world's rules. I could have all of the opinions I wanted politically. I could have all the opinions I wanted socially. I could have all of those opinions. And the minute I said, Jesus is my Lord, and I was baptized, I entered into the kingdom. And all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? Your kingdom is what matters. What you say, Jesus, is what matters. Like, that's what my life has now become. And there's a whole lot of things inside of me that I have to wrestle with because there are things about my sinful nature that don't want to agree with the way God runs his kingdom all the time. And when it comes down to it, when the authority, when the king says, Keith, this is how the kingdom is, I have one response. Amen. Yes. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And so again, the, you see how much is here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Boy, in this little section here, Jesus packs quite a punch. And it's like, it's one of those things, he doesn't even need to teach a lesson. He's just like, hey, pray this way. And as you were going, you'd be like, oh man, like I've got to think through this a little bit. Do I really want the will of Jesus done? That seems easy though, right? That's simple. I mean, I think if you ask most Christians anywhere, you say, you don't, do you want the will of God? They say, well, sure. 
Like, it's really simple. Now, let me ask you this. When Jesus came up against the will of God in the garden, how simple was that? Like, like Jesus himself was like, if, if you can take this away from me, please do. But your will be done. Okay, but sometimes we just think, man, his will is just, we, we kind of flip the script a little bit. Where we think, because I want something, that must be God's will. Okay? See, that's where the kingdom turns you upside down. It's going, no, 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 you don't understand. God may have different plans for us, and that's a tough thing right there. It's when God has different plans. When God isn't necessarily going along with what we, you want to know what? Sometimes God uses what we've done up until this point just to get us to a place to change our course. Okay? I'm grateful. I got to work as an athletic trainer for a number of years, but there's one purpose that God put me through an athletic training program was to get me to a place to, for a disciple to share the word with me to help me become a disciple. And then there was a course correction. All right. What becomes difficult is when we go, I don't want the course correction though. All right. Your will be done unless it's what I, I mean, but can it be, but can ours be the same? Like that's a lot of times what ends up happening. Do you see where the humility comes in of going, of this prayer is drawing us into humility of going, I trust you. I trust that your will is better than anything I could possibly have invented in my life. Whatever your will is, however you want me to go, I just want to know where that is. And this is this prayer of, 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 of a holy king uh, uh, praying for the kingdom to come. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. I think this begs the question, and this really speaks to my heart. Do I want that more than anything? <laughs> do I want that more than anything? Or do I value what the world values? Do I value the things the world is offering me? Like there's some kind of competition between what the world could give and what the kingdom offers the way the kingdom is. I think sometimes we, we're, we, we love the idea of the kingdom more than we like the reality of the kingdom. That's it, very simple to do. I think we all, if we're honest with ourselves, we like the idea of discipleship. We like the idea of a kingdom. We like the idea of a king. We like those things in, as an idea, but a reality is like, I don't know about that. Not sure about that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love verse 11 here. He says, then pray this. Now we're going to talk about us. Give us today our daily bread. That, that, this is one of my favorites because the idea of bread in the Bible is like incredible. It's awesome. If we were, if we were Jews, one of the things we would have been brought up learning about God's bread and bread from heaven, we would have been hearing about stories of our ancestors in the desert with no food. We would have grown up hearing these stories. Everyone will be talking about it still, about this idea of our people had nothing and God gave us food. And he gave us, and you wonder what? Here's the word. If you, if you go back to Exodus 16, he said he didn't just give you food. He gave you enough. We have a strange relationship with the word enough. When is enough? 
right? I mean, it's one of those things where if a little is good, a lot is better. Enough. He said, God gave you enough. He gave them enough for that day. I mean, I, I just would, I would love to be a, a Jewish family, and I hear Jesus say this. I'm like, wow. I remember grandma and grandpa and everybody telling us this story about this bread, and now Jesus is saying, hey, pray, give us today our daily bread. Like, what, what we need most on the inside. Turn over to John chapter 6, because this is, again, this is one of my favorite themes in the Bible, is the theme of bread. In John chapter 6, this is one of Jesus' most, like, um, gosh, stunning sermons. Stunning lessons. In verse 35 of John chapter 6, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Right? I mean, this is one of those things where we start thinking about even, even preparing ourselves, moving ahead into communion. You start thinking about Jesus going, I am the bread of life. Like, he's not joking around. He's like, no, I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. I wonder what it says as a church, as disciples, if we live our lives in a way that we never have enough. Like we always need more. We're always chasing more. I need more money. I need more things. I need more. I need more. I need more. I wonder how much that's telling the world. They're hungry still. God hasn't, uh, God hasn't helped their hunger. He said, you'll go hungry no more with Jesus. But I wonder sometimes if the world has tricked us into looking just like everybody else going, no, but I need more. I don't have enough right now. I don't have enough to make it through my life because I want this to happen because I don't have a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a high paying job, notoriety. I don't, I'm not seen as a certain way. It's not enough. I need more. How powerful is it for people to go, I have plenty. When I wake up, I have plenty. Keith, what do you need today? Nothing. Why? Because, man, I'm, I'm living on the bread of life. Amen. That means I don't have to have food. Now, don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying man, you don't have to eat ever again. But he's talking about this idea right here of you'll never go. I think as disciples, sometimes we look at that and we're like, oh, man, that's just kind of a cool line. It is a cool line, but it's meant to be real in our lives. Like, it's not meant to be something just symbolic. We're supposed to be a people that go, hey, you could take everything away from us, and we've got enough. You, we, listen, anything can happen. We ha I've got enough. Enough for what? Enough to follow Jesus. Enough to be in his kingdom. Enough. I've, we've got enough. All right? This may be that little nugget that helps us really go, hold on a minute. Let me deal with my materialism once and for all and just remind myself I have enough. But I need a new phone. No, you have enough. But I need more of that. No, 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 no. We have enough. We have enough together. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still don't believe. 
All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, here you go, not to do my will, but do to the will of the... Uh, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Right? He says, Jesus said, I'm down here to make sure the people who are going to have, they all get there. That's what I'm here for. So we go up there, God, your will be done. Okay? That is completely like, Arm and arm, it, our, it does, it, does our will and his will match the same thing? It's like all I want in this world is as many people as possible to make it to be with Jesus for eternity. Like nothing else matters besides that. It doesn't. There's no adventure. There's no job. There's no amount of money. There's nothing that will take the place of somebody who was dead in their sin coming alive in Christ. And being with Jesus in eternity. That was his will. So when we're praying, your will be done. We're saying, yeah, we're with you on that. Not, not just the preacher's with you on that. We're with you on that. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. That word is kind of a strange word. Debts, uh, sin, offenses. Forgive us our debts or our sin or our, or our offenses, right? What does it do to you to take a little bit of time? And go, where are those places I just need to come in front of God and just say, man, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm not talking about just a list. Uh, forgive me for this and for this and for this. But the idea of going, hold on a minute. My father in heaven, I want to come in front of you and just tell you, man, I blew it today. Man, my attitude was not what, what's about this. And just having this idea of God, confession and forgive, please forgive me. And for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, amen, that's awesome. But then he says, as we forgive others. How much time have you spent before just thinking through? I know right off the top of our head, we're like, no, man, we, we've forgiven everybody. Or, man, there's nobody I have anything against or something like that. And then we start thinking about it and start to pay attention to how we treat people because a lot of time what ends up happening is is we have these like things that get locked up inside of us and we start treating people poorly because we've never forgiven them for something right we've expected something from them that we've never let them get over okay so forgive us our sins as we forgive others do, do you see this community that jesus is like forming in us right here of this idea of, yes, I want this, but I'm also going to strive to give this as we forgive those. And don't bring us into temptation and deliver us from evil. And I love that ending right there. It's that reminder of we are in a spiritual battle like, like we'll never understand. I mean, this war is waging like right now. Like, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop when we're asleep. It doesn't stop when we're awake. It doesn't stop when we're on vacation. It doesn't stop. There's this battle for souls. And the most diabolical thing about it is, is that Satan is okay with us coming to church. That's the kind of battle we're in. Satan is totally okay with us saying Christian things. And trying to do Christian things and coming and being among Christian people. He's like, hey, that's totally fine. Because what I don't want you to do, what Satan doesn't want us to do, is want the will of God here. 
We don't want Christians who are going to be like, his kingdom, come now, here. We want his name to be holy. That, no, 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 no. Satan has us really as a nation, spiritually, exactly where he wants us. Is, hey, you know, the religious people feel totally comfortable being religious. And Satan has no reason to stop them from that. Because we think in our minds, if I just go to church enough, if I just do enough good things, if I just do those, if I'm just better than someone else, I mean, that was the game I played in college, was I was kind of like, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I don't think I'm saved. But man, I'm way better than this dude sitting next to me. So at least, you know, maybe if I'm wearing line, I'll get in before him. Okay. But I love that ending right there is this idea of deliver us from the evil one is this idea of, man, you want to know what? God, I depend on you for my food. I depend on you for my forgiveness. I depend on you for my protection. I depend on you for all of these things. Okay, so I'm praising and worshiping you. And then I'm coming to you and telling you, man, I am in need. I can't do this life on my own. I can't do it. This is, a, this is a prayer of desire. This is a prayer of humility. This is a prayer of, of just us being poor spiritually. This is a really, this is a good, 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 good thing. This is how we should pray. My encouragement would be, I think as disciples, we should be praying this lots. And, and I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the just spoken, you know, just saying the words. But I think there's something about this that is forming our hearts. It requires us to look into so many areas of our life and who we are in the deepest levels and have a conversation with Jesus about these things. So we are going to take our communion. We are going to come together. We do get to, um, again, the Last Supper that Jesus had, he said, this bread is my body. It's funny when it comes to communion because, um, man, there's, there's kind of a weird love-hate relationship we have, I think, as Christians with communion. I think there's a side of it where we think, very easy to think, well, if we do it every week, then we're going to, you know, it's going to lose its, like, shine or something like that, or we're going to take it for granted or something. I'm going, man, we need we need the message of the cross and the resurrection like every minute of every day. Like if, if, if once a week is too much, our, our barometer is off, man. I mean, we're upside down. We're, our magnetic north is all messed up, okay? It's because the necessity of the cross is every minute of every single day. But the reason that we do communion every single week is to remind us that as we, um, as we hear God's word, we remember that this isn't up to us to go and just do better, okay? The, the cross reminds us of what true inspiration is, what true, um, um, just what, what true um, encouragement is. Like, why would I follow any of these things? Why would I want, okay, if anybody else said, hey, I want you to tell me how much you, my name is Holy and my kingdom come, and my will be done, and all these kind of things, I'd be like, hold up a minute. But when you're talking to me that Jesus, and he dies on the cross, and he rises again, I'm like, that's exactly who I want to be living for. There's no one else I could ever, ever, ever trust like Jesus, ever. 
He's shown it. This is the reminder to us going, you know, so when we walk out of here, people go, why would you do this? Why would you change? Why would you repent? Why would you confess? Why would you renounce like sin? Why would you do these things? Like, have you not met my buddy, man? Have you not met my friend and my king who died on a cross and rose again? In fact, that seems like the most normal thing for me to do is to do that. And we get to do that together each week as we take communion. It is this idea of remembering like what we're being asked to do in our world seems very radical. In God's world, it's just what, what should be done. It's the only good response to the cross is this. And so we get a chance, we get a chance to, to, to think, we get a chance to reflect, we get a chance, you know, this isn't a time when we go back and just go, okay, God, if I can beat myself up for the next five minutes, then you'll be happy with me. But it's the idea of really getting reconnected to what is most important. What is more important than anything else is, is our king who isn't lording something over. He went first, he died and rose, and there's this power and there's this sacrifice and it's a special time. It's a special time. And it is, it's a time where you can have a time of silence. It's a time where you can share and talk with people next to you. All right? There's no, like, written rule about this. But I will say the one thing is we should always enter into this in a way that is, that is reverent to God. That's something that's always really important. I want to finish up before we take our communion with this one passage because I think Paul sums this up, this prayer... Um, in a way perfectly in Philippians turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to go ahead and read this I feel like we're going to meet Paul one day and I think if we would if we were to pull Paul off to the side and and here's what I see him right here doing is he's taking what we just talked about this Lord's prayer and he's explaining, this is what it looks like to embody this. This is what it looks like, okay? I mean, it's going to be crazy to meet that guy, but, but here's what he says, okay? He, he says in Philippians 3, uh, we'll start in verse 4 and a half. So there's a paragraph right there, middle of, in the middle of verse 4, Philippians chapter 3. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. All right, so he's saying whatever you think your spiritual resume is, he's like, his is better. He says, no one can compete with him. And if it was just about being righteous, Paul is like, I would be the first guy in line. No one, no one is better. And then here's what he says. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Like nothing matters. Whatever I profited from that life, it doesn't matter. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things right this right here is the is the anthem of the Lord's prayer 
It really is. This is a guy that we're seeing flesh and blood going, this is what this means to want the will of God and the kingdom of God and the holiness of God to be, oh, he's like, no matter what I had that was good, it's rubbish. It, I consider it a loss because I want to know Christ. That's how good Christ is. That's how incredible he is. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Th those last two verses are amazingly powerful. I... I I want my insides to be oh, in a way that that's what comes out of me. That's what I want more than anything. Right? You think about this. Is, is, can you imagine when our insight, when we've been formed, these are the things that come out of our mouth. Is everything's garbage. What I thought was good is garbage. What I thought I was spending all my time going after was garbage. What I thought was going to make me happy is garbage. Like the only thing that's, make, that's true and fulfilling is knowing Jesus. And in fact, it's this, can you imagine loving and adoring and being so infatuated with Jesus that he's like, I want to suffer the same way he suffered. Boy, that's coming out of a man who is embodying this Lord's Prayer. Those are the words of a man who have been formed into the likeness of Christ. Those are the words of a man who is like, this is quite honestly um, just a great human example of going, could I, could I imagine myself saying these things? Could I imagine the sacrifice required? Could I imagine doing this in a way that's just like, man, you know, as Paul has said in other places, I consider everything joy, suffering, I, you know, he talks about later in Philippians, he's found the, the secret to be content in every circumstance. I mean, this, I love this. This is what I want to come out of my mouth. This is what I want my heart to be, to, to, to be formed, to have these things come out. And I hope we also, as we take communion, again, it's not just this sacrament we're taking, but we're truly remembering that we're truly like locking ourselves in um, to our king um, to our king and we're trusting his formation and we're trusting that he won't keep us the same thanks for joining us if you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions please visit clemsonfoothills.com you can also text foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at cfc